following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Uh, We're in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 15 and 16, and as you're turning there, it's the fifth book of the Bible, and as uh, we look at Deuteronomy uh, 15 and 16, obviously, we're going to talk about having a soft heart today, and what does it mean to have a soft heart, and what does it look like to have a soft heart. It has been said that having a soft heart in a cruel world is courage, is not weakness, And for whatever reason in our society today, especially with us men, we think that having a soft heart is a weakness. Gentlemen, having a soft heart is not a weakness. It is very much a strength. As you heard throughout Deuteronomy, in the first 14 chapters, Moses, he is our author, and really... In Deuteronomy, the, the text is, is written, but really in all actuality, it's a series of sermons. You could break down Deuteronomy in five sermons. And Moses is preaching these sermons to the Israelites, as we talked about, who are getting ready to go into the promised land. This is the land of Canaan, and the people of Canaan, called the Canaanites, are populating Canaan. And they're not good people. As a matter of fact, they're not godly people. And God is preparing these Israelites to go and to conquer this land. So Moses, as like I said, you heard, has given a history to the Israelites of when they were obedient and when they were disobedient. And he did it for a, a certain reason. He needs to kind of show them who they once were and who they could be if they would trust in the Lord. The same is true for us today. Well, we're not Israelites, we're believers. And in the Bible, we're called the priesthood of believers. Those who confess their sins, repent of those sins, believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, are ushered into the family of God. We're God's children. We're believers in Jesus Christ, or as the world calls us, Christians. We hope the world calls us Christians. In Deuteronomy 15 and 16, we move into, as Bethany said, some of these laws. And Moses is going to explain with some of these laws how you could have a soft heart. So buckle up, because he's going to talk about how to use your money and your time and your talents. He's going to talk about possessions. And then he's going to move into chapter 16, these festivals. And as we study this, we wonder, well, we're not Israelites. Are we supposed to do these things? Which, which ones do we get to do and which ones are we like excluded from as a priesthood of believers? And how does this fit in regards to Jesus? So let's talk today. How do we have a soft heart? Well, chapter 15, as you see in the bold headings, talks about the sabbatical year. And the first part of having a soft heart boils down to caring more about others than yourself. Caring more about others than yourself. In verse 1, Moses says, At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And what he's saying there is, for Israel, we're going to talk about what money looks like that was loaned out and how that money is to be repaid back. Raise your hand if you've ever loaned somebody money. 
Raise your hand if you've never gotten it back. Okay, so we're on the set. We're, we're, we're good here. For Israel, money was always loaned with an understanding. Ready for this? Can you imagine if this was our country? That every seventh year, the debts were canceled. I tell you what, I'd take out a loan on year six every single time. So at the end of seven years, all debts were canceled. Money was not to be borrowed or owed for more than six years. Now, for those of you that love to write in your Bibles and you love to cross-reference things, we get this from Exodus chapter 23 as well as Leviticus chapter 25. Those two chapters go into essentially a little bit more detail on why we forgive that. In verse 2 through 5 in Deuteronomy 15... The reason that this was done was, number one, that there would be no poor or marginalized people in society. Can you imagine a world where there was no poor or marginalized people in our society? As a matter of fact, as believers, there's to be no poor or marginalized people among our people. Releasing debts was important to God. In verse 2, it specifically says that this is the Lord's release. If Israel obeyed, there would never be a lower class of people in their society. Sure, people would go through financial hardships, but all would have the opportunity to build financial stability. Now notice in chapter 15, verse 11, it says here, For there will never cease to be poor people in the land. Now hold on a second, God. I don't know if you're reading the same Bible that I'm reading, but that seems like there's a contradiction of terms. Amen? You just said, no poor are marginalized, and then you say in verse 11, there will never cease to be poor people in the land. So which is it, God? Is there always going to be poor people or there will never be poor people? Well, God does not contradict himself. Let me tell you that one more time. God does not contradict himself. He says that there will be poor because of disobedience and sin, But if Israel obeys God and they were to follow his commandments, verse 5, they would rule over all the other nations and borrow from none of them. In verse 6 through 11, this is called the law of debt cancellation. And what happened is it enabled a spirit of generosity in the Israelites to have soft hearts. The same that was true for the Israelites is also true for us as believers, Whenever God calls us to have a spirit of generosity, he is softening our hearts when we obey it. Failure to obey in regards to generosity hardens the heart. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, it partners with Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 6 through 11. It says, if you give freely, you become wealthier. Now, That's kind of one of those things that works with God that we don't understand how that works, but it works. As a matter of fact, in Micah, it says, test me in giving. God like essentially pushes the Israelites. He says, hey, you want to see how much I give when you give? I don't want you to be stingy because when you're stingy, you lose everything. So while God didn't guarantee prosperity for anyone in Israel, He did guarantee an opportunity for prosperity. Now, I didn't say monetary prosperity. If Israel was obedient, our attitude to those in need is to be open-handed. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 8. 
it says, but you shall open your hand to him and you shall lend to him what is sufficient for his need. Look at verse 11, because there are poor people in the land who need your help. We look at this text and we realize that our attitude towards anyone in need is to be open handed. Think about it just this week. Was there anybody who came into your path who had a need in which you were able to meet and you were close handed to them? Poverty is always our opportunity to obey the Lord fully. And we're not talking about just monetary things. Jesus says there are people who are poor in spirit. Jesus also says that there are people who are poor in regards to the things that they are encountering. Now, I understand poor in spirit talks about a little bit about our relationship with Jesus. But there are people who are going through hardships and our opportunity and obligation is to obey the Lord because it softens our heart. Paul wrote the exact same thing to the church in Galatia in Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. Look what it says. Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of God. We have to meet the needs of the people who are right in front of us. Sometimes that's answering the phone call when you don't want to answer the phone call. Have you ever been there? The phone rings and you look down at it and you go, oh man, I'm not answering that one. Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. When the phone rings and it's a telemarketer, you just hang up. That's doing good. Charity and charitable giving begins with us as believers and then it extends to there. This is our spiritual act of worship. Now notice in verse 12, this is kind of an interesting thing too. It says that the captives are to be set free. Now, this is a really interesting passage of Scripture. In the Old Testament, people who were unable to pay their debts would sell themselves to other people. Essentially, this is like Old Testament slavery in a nutshell. They would be servants to their creditors. Just as debts were to be canceled every year, slaves were also to be freed just to free a slave. Look at verse uh, 13. Verse 13, excuse me, where it says you don't just free the slave, you also give to them. You do not let them go empty handed. They were to supply their servants with livestock, verse 13, grain and wine. Why? Because that's exactly what God did for them when they left Egypt. Look at verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you, so I command you to do this. (laughs) So we ask ourselves, why should I give at all? You give because God gave to you, John chapter 3, verse 16. And as far as creditors go, what's really fascinating is, if a servant became too attached to a creditor... They could essentially pierce the servant's ear to indicate that he was a creditor or a servant for life. Point back to uh, verse 17. It says, Then you shall take an awl, and you shall put it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your slave forever. Ladies and gentlemen, the start of piercing ears. This is where it comes from. Okay. Now, we ask ourselves, why would they do that? 
Well, if you're a servant, right, in the Old Testament, and your master lives a very extravagant lifestyle, some people who are servants live better lives underneath people who were, uh, were very rich than they did if they didn't have any money. Some of us understand that, right? If you work for somebody who's wealthy, and let's say, for example, that you live in maybe one of their houses. This happens a lot in California and Florida, and the master goes away for a little bit, and he says, hey, we're going to be gone for a couple months. Everything that I have is yours. You want the Lamborghini, you want the Benz, you want whatever you want. It's all up to you. You take care of it. And so sometimes the life of a slave is better than one who is set free. And so there's a lot of times where people would essentially say, I want to be that person's slave for life. Now that's interesting in regards to human terms, and you don't have to go here, but Psalm chapter 40 verse 6 gives a really interesting observation. And in Psalm chapter 40, verse 6, it says, My ears you have opened. The word opened in Psalm chapter 40, verse 6, is the word pierced. Now, to go along with Psalm 40, the opening of an ear is the bond slave ceremony. And it points to Jesus, who willingly became a bond slave of God the Father. We go further into the text in Isaiah chapter uh, 50, verse 5 and 7, and it says this. It says, the Lord God has opened my ear. This is a prophecy of Isaiah. The Lord God has pierced my ear. In other words, it's pointing to the fact that Jesus willingly became a slave to God the Father to do his work and his will. And so I didn't turn away. I, didn't, I gave my back to those who struck me, my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame or spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Now, it's interesting here. We as believers so desperately want a relationship with the world instead of a relationship with the word. Jesus is our word. And so the question on the table is, do we let Jesus willingly pierce our ear and tell him that I want everybody to know that I am yours? Do we willingly let him pierce our ears like he had his ears pierced, so that we could have a relationship with God. We willingly become slaves to God at the moment of salvation. We commit to our master forever. That's the start of the softening of the heart. Now what's really interesting is pagan cultures had a custom of branding the slave with a name or a sign of the owner. And Paul talks about this a little to the church of Galatia in chapter 6 verse 17. He says, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. We just sang about going through trials and tribulations and hardships. We bear on our bodies the marks of Jesus. We bear in our souls the marks of Jesus. And it does not harden our heart, it softens our heart. It softens them to the truth. It causes us to push our hands out to the poor and to the marginalized. We willingly become a slave to God as Christ became a slave to God the Father so that we would be able to love unconditionally, not as we would love as ourselves, but as the Spirit is willing and able. Now, 
The question on the table is, when you do that, do you do it halfway? <laughs> how, how well do you do this, right? Some of us have a head knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's all about. Others of us have had our heart transformed by that knowledge of Christ. And so when we look at this, in chapter 15, verse 19, it says, you give your best. So when we approach Jesus in a relationship with faith, we don't just give him 50% of what he has given to us. We say we give you our all. Now, look at this. It says, they gave their firstborn animals the best. It's like the laws of canceling debt and releasing the servants. It includes giving up personal possessions. Sacrificing firstborn animals taught the Israelites of their redemption from Egypt when all the firstborn Egyptian sons died. For those of you that don't know the story, I don't mean to insult your intelligence, but some of us don't. Essentially what happened was every death was an opportunity to teach children about God's redemption of their nation. Church, everything we do here is an opportunity to teach our children and impress the truths of Scripture upon their heart. Everything we do here is always done as a teaching moment. And here we see all of these teaching moments that were modeled by parents. And we get here, the firstborn animal sacrifices were also helped to support the priests. And they were to be set apart completely for the Lord. That's verse 19. Taken to the sanctuary where they were sacrificed. And there was a communal meal that was enjoyed. That's verse 20. An imperfect firstborn animal wasn't acceptable, but could be eaten at the home. And again, as it says in the text all the time, don't eat the blood. <laughs> I feel like that's implied sometimes, right, with Scripture? Like, you just don't do that. But they had to tell them that all the time. Pastor Jordan, so what? We're not Israelites. Yeah, but we as believers have very hardened hearts. And our hardened hearts are because we don't reach out to the people who have needs that are in our path. That need might be a spouse. It might be a kid. It might be somebody who is in your job circle. It could be a friend or a family member. How many people are we keeping captive because of the lack of forgiveness? And do we give our best? These are all New Testament acts of worship that could be implemented in our society today. Go back to the first point. Do I care more about others than I care about myself? Jesus even says himself, you should love your enemies as your self. Do we look like believers in this world today by caring for poor and marginalized people, by setting captives free and giving our best in all things? The Israelites were commanded to do it in one way. Us as a priesthood of believers are commanded to do it in another. All right, now he goes into 16 and he says the second way that you can do this, watch this, is to use your time and talents to honor the Lord. Now, Men, we're going to speak to you a little bit, all right? Because really, this was a call for all the men to show their love and devotion to the Lord. They're using their time and talents to honor the Lord in three ways. There's three specific festivals that are going to be mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 16. All of these were annual festivals. The males were supposed to participate in those things, and if their families could come and attend, then so be it. Attending these festivals gave them two opportunities. Number one. They acknowledge the Lord as their deliverer and provider. Authority and modeling comes from men. Can I say that again? Sometimes we have problems in this because there's a lot of tails that wag the dog. 
Authority and modeling comes from men. Guys, you should be doing the devotions at night with the kids. You should be leading songs at the dinner table. You should always be the person who stands up and says, I'll pray. If nobody else will pray in a group of people, I'll pray. That's how we model this well. We don't let the women, now you're looking at there, you say, man, Pastor Jordan's kind of a chauvinist. No, that's not true. That's biblical. It's, it's a biblical stance. All these guys had the opportunity to express their faith as these festivals demonstrated that worshiping God was a joyful experience. Men, you should be the ones who are getting everybody ready in the morning and shoving them out the door to come to church. Okay? Man, I'm going to get some emails this week. All right, that's okay. And they're excited about it. And they're happy about it. And they're modeling this well for all of the community. What are the three festivals? All right, number one, you got Passover in 16, chapter, chapter 16, verse 1 through 8. The instructions of Passover are all outlined in Exodus 12, if you want to read that later on after uh, service, or if you get tired of listening to me preach, you can just go back there and do that too as well. The word Passover, if you want to circle that, comes from the Hebrew verb, meaning, ready for this? I'm about to blow your minds, to pass over. You're welcome. Passover remembered the night that God passed over the Israelites that had blood sprinkled on their houses, sparing their firstborn. The firstborn Egyptians and their livestock, without the blood, died. The Israelites used Passover to teach their children about God's deliverance from Egypt. And they celebrated, ready for this, the 14th day of Abib, which is somewhere between March and April. It is the getting ready for the fields. A year-old sheep or goat, the word is herd there, which means cattle, uh, Moses kind of widens their choices, is sacrificed at twilight, and we see a seven-day feast of unleavened bread. In verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 3, it says this, you shall eat no unleavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction for you, this is the important part, came out of the land of Egypt in haste or in a hurry. You, were, you, were, you, were, you had to get out of there quickly. As a matter of fact, they slept with their clothes on, which I did in college a few times. Eight o'clock classes come soon. Passover was first observed in homes, but after a sanctuary was built, it moved there, and it symbolizes Israel's birth as a nation with God as her head. Now, we would ask, so what? How does this apply to me? How does this apply to having a soft heart? How does this apply to me as a man leading the home? Well, first of all, Passover presents Jesus as our sacrificial lamb. So we don't have to celebrate Passover anymore because Jesus came. He died on the cross for our sins. He was the lamb that was slain. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. And then you will be a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is uh, what you really are, Christ, our Passover lamb. Now, let's bridge that passage with what we just talked about in chapter 15. Get rid of the old person, right, and the wicked person, and start putting your hands and getting them in process of doing what will make you set apart and holy. I want you to see who you really are. You are in Christ, who was our Passover lamb, who was sacrificed for us. So we sacrifice because Christ sacrificed for us. Okay, so that kind of makes sense, but how do we apply it even further? 
As believers, we are spared from eternal death when we apply the blood of Christ or that trust and that faith in Christ who died in our place for our sins. All these guys who are gathering for Passover, ready? This is what they're doing. They're humbling themselves before the Lord. They're saying, we don't have any talent outside of our relationship with the living God. It is not what I have done. It was what his God has done through me. Gentlemen, do we act this way? Because there's a lot of times where I have my accomplishments, what I have done. Look at me, right? As a matter of fact, we're doing this ordination service tonight, and it's really awkward for me. Because we have a tendency to make it all about Jordan. It's not about Jordan. It's about Jesus. And so we I talked to a buddy of mine about this this past week, and he said, Jordan. He said, it is all about Jesus. Get over yourself. And I said, okay, just keep reminding me that, right? It's not about you. It's about what God does through you. And these men, all of these people who are gathered here, are essentially preparing their hearts to say, look, this is what God has done through us. And so we go into the second festival. This is called the Feast of Weeks. This is the Feast of Harvest or the Day of First Fruits. It's all outlined in Numbers chapter 28. But it comes from Moses' command to cut off seven weeks. We have the seven word popping up a lot. From the time the Israelites began to harvest their grain in March and April, which means this would happen in May or early June. Now, ready for this? This is how this builds a bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. This is called Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is important because based on the Greek translation of the Hebrew text, we call that Septuagint, there are 50 days. The Feast of Weeks was celebrated as God's rich provision for his people. Everyone freely gave in proportion to how God had blessed them. Imagine the society we would live in if everybody gave in proportion to the way that God had blessed them. My dear friend from St. Louis says it this way. He says, if God answered every single one of your prayers at 12 o'clock and service was at 1230, how many people would be at service at 1230? In other words, what he's saying is how many people would praise the Lord for the provision from God? Now, the feast would be a time of joy and sharing since God had been generous with the Israelites. They were to be generous with others. Now, let's build the bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Paul had a standard of giving in mind for believers rather than a system of tithing. In regards to the Corinthian church, he says, You give so that each one may prosper. We also note that the Holy Spirit was given to the New Testament believers at the Feast of Pentecost. This is the start of where we see the Holy Spirit manifested upon all of the believers. And it points to the fact that God's greatest provision for a believer in their daily living is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So these guys are saying, first of all, we're preparing our hearts to say, it's not what I do, it's what God does through me. And then since God has done something through me, I want to worship him so that he can further prepare me for more worship. And that comes from the enabling of the Holy Spirit in regards to your time and talents, and it also softens the heart. So these men always looked at the fact that God is softening their heart the more they participated in the worship of God through public places and also private family worship. Did you get that? 
God is working at softening your heart through public places of worship and private places of worship. Uh, so we've been, last year, it was last year, we were doing a book for uh, our, our corporate worship team. And uh, one of the guys who was doing that, it talks about singing in your house. It talks about singing at home, right? And he looked at us and he said, I don't know how I feel about singing in the home. I'm not really sure about that. What does that look like? And I said, well, you just do it. He's like, I don't sing. I said, well, you should start because the Bible says 300 times that you sing. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Just start to sing, right? And he says, I just don't know how I feel about that. I still don't know if he sings to this day. But as men, for whatever reason, we've gotten to the point where we don't sing. But he's calling us and commanding us to sing in regards to the fact of what he has done, this joyful experience. The Holy Spirit has filled us. How could we not sing? All right, third thing, Feast of Tabernacles. Exodus 23, as well as Leviticus 23, talks about this, the Lord's Feast of Tabernacles, all after the harvest. So you look at this. You have pre-harvest. Men come and prepare their hearts, bringing their families if possible. You have during this time where the fields are being prepped. And then you have after everything is done. In verse 13 through 17, this feast begins the 15th day of the seventh month, which would be September or October. And it's all about joy. People are to be joyful in giving God's provision. Joyful in the fact that he had delivered them from hardships. Now what's crazy here is people live in booths. They still do this to, the day, uh, to this day, by the way, in Israel. They live in these like little tents when they celebrate this feast. And there's a little sliver in the tent that you could see out and you can see the stars. And these tabernacles are said to be celebrated during the millennium in Zechariah chapter 14. But this is really where it bookends. Prophetically, the Feast of Tabernacles speaks of a millennial rest of comfort of God for Israel and all of God's people. It's all about peace and rest from beginning to end. When you use your time and talents and soften your heart for the Lord, you find peace and rest. Church, let me just ask you a question. Did you have a rough week? Did you find yourself in trial and tribulation and turmoil? As things happen where you just thought to yourself, man, this is just where I'm at and this is just what's going on. I would ask and I would beg the question, were your time and talents utilized for the Lord or for yourself? Now, I'm not saying because you had a bad week, you know, or maybe you'll do this. As a matter of fact, sometimes it'll get harder before it gets easier. But I do know that even in the midst of problems and pain, true peace and rest comes when I can lay my head down on my pillow and say, God, everything I did today was for you and for your glory. Moses reminds in verse 22, the Israelite men of their obligation to do this constantly and continually. It was three times a year they were to appear to God. Each man brought a gift constantly because each festival was a joyful expression of thanks for God's riches and spiritual and material blessings experienced in the past and the present. It is not about what we do. It is about what God does through us. And when God does a great work through us and we praise him for that, our heart becomes soft. And with a soft heart, we realize that a cruel world is looking at us for answers. And we show them those answers. It's not weakness. As believers, we set other people up for success. 
How do I have a soft heart this week? Let me just ask you a question. As you're sitting here and you're hearing God's word preached and proclaimed to you, who is the person who is poor or marginalized in your life? Who is the person that needs the gospel that you have received the most? Who is the person in your life who you have made a captive because you don't want to forgive them of their sins? Where in your life are you not giving your best because you think that God owes you something? Have we made our corporate times of worship a priority? Have we come to a place where we realize that when we set other people for success, up for success, we also win? Bethany said it earlier, but Christianity is not a solo endeavor. It is a team sport. And so we take care of others. That's Mark 10. We forgive people of wrongs. That's Matthew 6. We give our best. That's Matthew 22. We use our time and talents to honor the Lord. And our heart softens. We care more about others than we care about ourselves. Because that's what Christ did for us on the cross. And so if we want soft hearts, we have to do these things. But more importantly, we have to pray for it. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and some of us have extremely hardened hearts. We got here this morning and um, we were thinking to ourselves, I don't even know if I want to go through those two doors. And then as... uh, we got here and we had time together. You started preparing our hearts for the message that was preached today. And we're reminded, Lord, from the Israelites and their lives, what it looks like to have hardened hearts. And we're reminded of some of the things they did that dishonored you. And we don't want to be like that. We want to be people who love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, God, I pray that you would reveal to us what we do with this message. For some of us, our hearts are so hardened and they're so calloused because we will not eliminate our pride. We will not humble ourselves. We think to ourselves, I'm not going to do that. There's no way I could do that. But we can if you give us the ability and if you equip us. So we ask for your help, Lord, to humble ourselves and to reach out. To love people like Christ, who maybe aren't really that lovely. To seek our brother's best and our sister's best. As men, Lord, we ask that you would help us to step up and lead the charge, to realize the importance of setting an example in all that we think, say, and do. We ask for your help, God, this week in the many challenges that come from all of our endeavors, that you would be honored and glorified, and that our hearts would be soft to what you command us to do. It is in your name that we pray because of your word. Thanks for Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.